The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Monday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. John Zistemski. We are right here on the Ringer Podcast Network, and I hope everybody survived the storm. Well, bummed that I didn't find my way out to the Northern Trust in Liberty National on Sunday afternoon. But when you are moving and leaving your apartment in about two weeks and you're about to embark on a little five, six-day journey on the West Coast, sometimes things, as we like to say, work out for a reason. So there's a lot of inside time, a lot of packing, moving, shipping, doing all sorts of crazy crap. But all in all, great weekend for my baseball team. Not such a great weekend for the other team in town, even with the win on Sunday. Even with the Mets getting a great performance from Marcus Stroman, getting a big game from J.D. Davis, getting the return of Javier Baez. The Mets return from their West Coast soiree. Two and five. They was two or three to the Giants. They was three or four to the Dodgers. And I don't want to hear about coulda, shoulda, wouldas. They went two and five on this road trip. And here's the reality. It's exactly what we anticipated looking at the schedule this weekend. Braves, what did they have? The lowly Baltimore Orioles. The Mets, took on the best team in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They ended up losing basically three games in the standings because the Braves mauled the Orioles. The Mets struggled mightily against the elite. The Mets are now seven games out of first place. The Mets are now at a point where even with this soft portion of the schedule coming up, where, yes, you have the Giants for three more at home, but then a ton of games with the Marlins, a ton of games with the Nationals. I think they will get back into it from a standpoint of meaningful, watchable, 
somewhat relevant September baseball. But I can't say in good faith the Mets are going to make up a seven-game deficit, even with Baez back, even with Lindor coming back. How can I make that argument with the way the Braves are playing? The Braves are playing too darn good. The Mets, on the other hand, continue to spin their wheels. They're not scoring runs consistently. They're not playing the sort of quality baseball you need to play to go and make up the ground. And it's been a weird year. It's been a whack year. I mean, look at the Mets. Look at the Yankees as two perfect examples of the oddities of how leads and deficits and narratives and storylines have just dramatically changed at the snap of a finger. Think about that for a second. If you would have said right around the All-Star break that I'd be leaving second to last week of August and what team would be in better playoff positioning, who in their right mind would have said the Yankees? Even at the trade deadline when the Yankees made the moves for Gallo and Rizzo, who would have said the Yankees? The Yankees have been as good as anybody and the Mets have been below average. They have a hot team in their division. The warts, the flaws that have been exposed throughout the course of this year were exposed that much more. I don't see this massive seven-game turnaround coming over the next six weeks. And to me, there's a bunch of guys on this team that have a whole lot to play for. I think Conforto, if he wants to get paid by the Mets or somebody to some degree, he's got to start hitting. McNeil, maybe showing you some signs of life, had a big hit on Sunday. What's his future on this team going to be? Smith, even though you're going to have the DH in the National League next year, which will allow Alonzo to DH some more. Dom will get a chance to play some more first base. But what is Dom Smith's role on the Mets? These are questions that I think are going to get played out here over the next few weeks. Because the way I see it, as of right now, this cannot be the team you run back in 2022. You just can't. Not with the way they've yucked up this division. And it can't be as simple as DeGrom is out, Lindor is out, and this is why it's happened. It's one thing to lose a division. It's another thing to lose a division and now be seven games out in the process. And that's exactly what we have seen from the Mets. So they salvage a game. whoop the freaking do Wake me up in two and a half weeks if they're within four games of the Braves. Because that, to me, is what they need to do. Between now and the start of Labor Day, can they gain about three to four games in the standings to make September relevant and watchable? Now, on the other side, the Yankees? I'm bummed they didn't play on Sunday because they're as hot as a firecracker. And one thing is for certain, I tweeted this out the other day. Death, taxes, and the Yankees absolutely owning and punking the Minnesota Twins. I don't think I've seen anything like it in professional sports. I, I, I really don't. The Yankees, no matter who they have on the roster, the Twins, no matter who they have on the roster, the Yankees maul them. They embarrass them. They humiliate them. These games over the weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they're never in doubt. They are never in doubt. I think the Yankees are playing like a 7 to a 750 winning percentage against the Twins since like 2002, 2003. It is absolute insanity. But they had a great weekend. And sometimes you got to take L's in this business. You know that? Sometimes you can pound your chest. You can glow it a little bit. Other times you got to eat your words. 
When the Yankees traded for Anthony Rizzo at the end of July, I did not see a role for Luke Voigt on this team. I'm raising my hand. I'm acknowledging this is something I said. I'm not running from it. I'm not hiding from it. This is what you call accountability in the business. You're getting some accountability from yours truly. I didn't think Voigt had a role on this team. Rizzo gets COVID. Voigt's given an opportunity to play. He has taken that opportunity. He has run with it. And now, I got to acknowledge, I couldn't have been more wrong. That's not to say that Luke Voigt should be playing first base over Anthony Rizzo. But what it is to say is that Luke Voigt, for the time being, deserves legitimate playing time for the New York Yankees. He's going to keep getting two or three hits a game, and he's going to be hitting three or four home runs a week. Yeah. You best believe he's going to have a spot and a place in that lineup. And if that means less time for Brett Gardner, who's a little banged up, so be it. It means a little bit more time for John Carlos Stanton in the outfield, so be it. But it is amazing the look, the feel, and the narrative of the Yankees. And not only the Yankees, the manager as well. Listen, I think anybody who's listening to this podcast knows I have not been an Aaron Boone pom-pom waver over the first three months. And yeah, I gave him a lot of heat, gave him a whole lot of shit for the way the team was playing, and I thought he deserved to be held accountable for that. On the flip side, I'm also going to be fair, and I'm going to acknowledge that the Yankee turnaround, he deserves a lot of credit for. He's kept this team afloat. He's kept this team together. They have not quit on him. That's leadership. Even though I don't like what Aaron Boone has to say after these games when it's, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, I heard Cora the other day after the Red Sox lost by 10 runs and were kicking the ball over themselves, and Cora calls his team out. Cora calls himself out. I love that sort of leadership. I'm not getting that from Boone. But if the team is going to play great and they are going to back it up, then you know what? You can hold yourself to whatever, you know, type of demeanor that you want to, as far as I'm concerned. You got to go and win games. The Yankees have now done that. Now, this week coming up, it's going to get tricky. Two against the Red Hot Brave team. You got four games in Oakland, a place historically that the Yankees never seem to play well in. I'd sign right now, without hesitation, for a 500 week out of the Yankees. If you tell me the Yankees find a way to go three and three in these six games, I will take it. And I think what some Yankee fans are going to wonder about is how realistic is it to go and chase down the Tampa Bay Rays in first place? The Yankees are four and a half games back at Tampa. I still think it's a long shot. I still think it's asking a lot. Before you start fantasizing about winning a division title, put yourself in a position where you are comfortably in the postseason. The Yankees are building towards that. Shocking. They are two and a half games up on both Oakland and Boston. They got the first wild card spot. Now the goal is that game better beat Yankee Stadium. I better beat Yankee Stadium at the bodega an hour and a half before, cold one in hand, ready to roll. That's my expectation. That I am at that bodega hour and a half before, couple pops in, ready to go. That's the mindset that you should have as a Yankee fan. Home playoff game, first and foremost. Lock that in, feel comfortable about that, then start dreaming of a division. You want to win a division, though. You need a Better week than three and three. Soft September schedule for the Yankees. This week's challenging, though. Yankees show me something in a big way if they find a way to get four and two. Questions still about that bullpen. 
Yankees starting pitching is rounding in the form. Yankee team playing as good as anybody in the second half of this year. So you have all that going on with the baseball teams, and you got to give credit where credit is due to the youngster in town. And it's preseason football, so you don't want to get nuts. But you think about what some of those narratives were for Zach Wilson about three, four weeks ago. Oh, he, he's overwhelmed in, in, in scrimmages. He's playing like crap in scrimmages. Yada, yada, yada. Well, I've seen Wilson now in two preseason games. And I get it. The Giants didn't have a whole lot of starters out there. The Packers didn't have a whole lot of starters out there. But did Zach Wilson look like a guy who was intimidated? Did he look like a guy who was shaking in his boots? Not in the least. It's preseason football, but the look, the feel, the confidence factor, some of the throws that he was making were big boy NFL throws. There's something to build on there. And with the news of the Coral Lawson injury, which is a major, major bummer for the Jets on defense, major, major bummer, you want to have feelings of optimism going into the year. It's not going to be from a win-loss standpoint. I hate to break it to the Jet fan when it comes to that. Some of you Jet fans aren't going to like to hear that, but you know what? Sometimes you got to hear a little reality. That's just the way it goes. This quarterback growing, being developed the right way, how he progresses, how he matures. It's a big key to the season. Watching the Jets hopefully be coached in a competent, a proper way. Guess what? That's another big key to the season. So we can look at their win total. You could talk about six. They're going to go over on the six. Honestly, if the Jets play competent, inspired football and they win five games and the quarterback looks good, I'm sorry. It's a good year. So I'm going to say it's a loser's mentality. I disagree with that. You need to know at the end of this year, we got something in our coach and we got something in our quarterback. You're going to start learning that a lot more in about two and a half weeks. But preseason, here's the bottom line. Don't embarrass yourself. And Wilson hasn't embarrassed himself. He's flourished. So you need a dangling carrot of positivity. You Jet fans have been down enough. Hopefully that provided exactly that over the weekend. All right, we got a loaded show. Literally loaded show before we get on a plane. Because I'm off to Vegas in about, I don't know, eight or nine hours. So I'm going to have to be knocked out. I, I used to be a creature tonight where I'd be up and I'd go right to the airport and I'd fall asleep on the plane. Those days are over. Hallelujah, those days are over. But a loaded show for you. Voicemails galore. We have our buddy, Harry Gagnon, with some NFL over-unders, which I'm looking forward to. But when we come back, my golf buddy from the amazing but true New York Post podcast, the former Met, the former Major Leaguer, Figgy Nelson Figueroa, is up next. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So the Mets salvaged the final game of this West Coast trip. It was a very, very ugly West Coast trip. And now it is a monster, monster deficit in the National League East. And this guy kind of went viral on social media last 24, 48 hours. And no, it wasn't because he was ripping it up with me on the golf course. It was because he's rather opinionated about his former team. He's got the Amazing But True podcast on the New York Post. Great dude, former major leaguer, my man, Nelson Figueroa. What's up, Figgy? What's shaking, brother? Doing good, brother. Doing good. Just trying to see if the Mets can string something together here. Well, let's start here. 
This West Coast trip, a lot of people expected an ugly couple of days. Was it as ugly as you thought it was going to be? Was it worse than you thought it was going to be? Now that this West Coast trip is over, they salvaged the final game. What do you kind of assess what you saw here over the last week? Well, my college coach used to say it best. All that matters is W's and L's, right? Wins and losses. So you can look inside the numbers and say, man, they just missed out on opportunities to win almost every single game except for the 14 to 4 blowout. And there was another game that they lost by a few runs as well. Other than that, they were one or two runs. And that looks like situational hitting. That looks like, you know, guys hitting with runners in scoring position. They had so many opportunities to do something to change the outcome of the ball game, which makes you feel like we're this close, but it seemed like it was light years away apart from the Dodgers versus them, the Giants versus them. It seemed like they shouldn't have even been in the same ballpark most of the time. And the fact is they had so many opportunities to get the job done and they just haven't been doing it. J.D. Davis, who had a great day today, has finally, you know, picked up the slack for what happened for the first, you know, eight to 12 games of this series. And these guys are playing against each other. You're looking at these Dodgers and these Giants as otherworldly because they're out in the West and they're 30 games over 500 and they make it seem like, yeah, it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to win every single game. The Mets, unfortunately, were in enough of these games where you start having second thoughts about, you know, managerial you know, moves. What did he do wrong? You know, the pitching moves. You left him in too long. You left this guy, you know, didn't bring in this guy early enough. Then you have guys like Pete Alonso who, you know, been carrying – most of the weight on their shoulders having to be the hero every single time because guys haven't been able to at least match what they've done on the back of their bubblegum cards uh, up until this point. So I'm looking at the, the Mets kind of thinking, you know, yes, it, they're getting still, they're getting beat. That's the, the end all of it. But you have to start thinking about if they're playing better baseball, look who they have coming up. The next series that they have coming up is the Marlins, after they get done with the Giants, they have the Marlins and the Nationals for 12 games. That's where they can make up some big ground. So, figure you mentioned Baez. He's back. Helps the Mets win a game. Now, we know what Baez brings a lot of energy to the table. He hit the ball out of the ballpark. He's a terrific defender. But there are a lot of warts. There are a lot of shortcomings in his game. How much of a difference, realistically, can he make, you think, for this team here over the next couple of weeks? I think it does. I mean, honestly, with what he's able to do on both sides of the baseball, you got to remember, it's a lot to do with both sides of the baseball. There's a lot of one-dimensional players in this game today. Uh, he's not one of them. He's a guy that can do it on all three facets of the game. When you're talking about offense, defense, and speed on the base paths, the way he runs the bases, he's very aggressive. He's overly aggressive at times. But that's something that you surely need with this Mets lineup. They kept saying if they can't manufacture runs, they got to find ways to get guys in motion, run the bases better, be a little bit more aggressive. These guys have not played together. Everybody keeps asking them questions. Oh, well, how how's it been to play with your friend? How's it been? To, they've not played together. So they've been on the injured list together, but they have not played together. So I'm excited to see these guys being able to be in the same lineup at the same time. And the defense of plays, the turning of the double plays there up the middle should be something exciting to watch. When you look at the way this team is falling apart, is there one particular culprit that you look at individually? Because listen, offensively as a whole, Figgy, Mm-hmm. I expected this team to score a ton of runs all year. It hasn't happened. You know, you yeah. kept waiting second half of the year. Sooner or later, guys are going to hit. Well, now it's the middle of August. The Mets aren't hitting. So you kind of got to acknowledge and be real with the fact of, okay, this is what they are offensively. 
But when you think about the 2021 Mets, yucking up a big division lead, allowing the Braves to surpass them, if you had to put it on one individual, who would that individual be? Oh, man. Does it have to be a player? No, I mean, you want to go front <laughs> office, you want to go owner? I'm it, setting it, you up here, bro. Take it whatever okay, which so, way you want. So uh, as you've heard in my podcast rant, to me, it was you had an opportunity. And if you really believed in this team and you really felt like, hey, this team had something special. And they kept talking about the chemistry, right? Not wanting to break up that chemistry, not wanting to make these big trades and get rid of pieces that you needed to have this great chemistry. Chemistry doesn't win ball games. Right, chemistry is created because you're winning. Nobody cares about the chemistry of a losing ball club. It's never happened. You never heard anybody talk about, oh, remember the 2013 Cleveland Indians? They were fantastic because they were such a great charismatic team. Nobody cares. So to me, what happened was I don't know if the front office gave up or the front office was realistic, but they looked at it and they said, mm, I don't know if I want to give up a lot of pieces if it's not going to happen. That scheduling, when you look at the scheduling and you said you had the Dodgers and the Giants right in the middle of August, they were four and a half games up, five games up when they played the Braves, that was five games. And we were talking about on our podcast, what if they were able to bury the Braves, win five in a row at home against the Braves and push the Braves back to 10 games? Then the Braves would have probably treated it much differently at the trade deadline than they did. Well, and think, instead, think about it. The Braves won three out of five. They should have yeah. won five out of five. They thoroughly they outplayed the Mets, I they thought, could've. every single one of those games. So, yeah, if I were Atlanta after watching that series, I would have been like, let's go for it. Screw it. And, we can beat these guys. And that's what they did, JJ. That's what they did. They went for it. They went out and got four or five former All-Stars, guys who were, you know, uh, uh, that they could pick up and add to their lineup. They had lost their greatest talented player, but they didn't sit back on that. Their outfield is totally new, a veteran experienced player outfielders they're out there with duvals and, and people who you know have been in the top three top five and home runs guys who have produced and guys who know that hey this might be their only opportunity to not only get to the playoffs but go deep into the playoffs and so they're playing at a different level right now you look up there the nine and one in the last 10 games where everybody else in the east is still treading water trying to just go five and five the mets weren't able to do that because they ran into the national league west that has to that will end when they finish out with the Giants and they'll have a chance to maybe get back on the right track when they face, you know, the lower division guys. And they have to take advantage. If they are not able to do at least something of a nine and three, um, then the season's probably over. And then you're looking at no Syndergaard, no DeGrom. Uh, Lindor's back, yes, but at, at the same time, are, are you really going to push these guys in, into another stratosphere to see if they hurt themselves down the stretch if you're going to be 10, 12 games out of first place? It's hard to fathom. Just a month ago, JJ, the 26th of July, they were four and a half games up. Four and a half games up. And all they did was sink very quickly down to the bottom. And they only have themselves to blame for it because it all came down to opportunities they had plenty of opportunities. Those, you know, they're second in all of baseball. Uh, first in all of baseball, left men left on base. The second team happened to be the Yankees. Only problem is the Yankees scored 45 more runs in that same period of time. 45 more runs over that same period of time led to the Yankees winning, you know, the majority of their games since the trade deadline because they added two all-stars to their lineup, even though everybody else said, ah, it's probably time for them to sell off. They decided, you know what? We're close in the wild card. Let's see what happens because anything can happen. And sure enough, here are the Yankees sit, you know, they're right there in the wild card and they have a chance to continue to battle for the division. You just never know because this team is steamrolling where you look across town, 
they decided to sit back and think, oh, well, we're getting DeGrom back. We're getting Syndergaard. We're getting Carrasco. We're getting all these pieces that were coming back, but you can't exa- exactly for a guy who has not pitched for three months and say, hey, it's all on you. Let's see if you can write the ship for us. Do you get the sense, Figgy, the front office approach things the way that they did, knowing in the back of their mind that maybe Jake was done for the year? You think that kind of came across their minds? That, I mean, it's it's always difficult to say that one guy could make that big of a difference. But when he you can, were though. That, Let's be yes, honest, Figgy. When, if there's one guy who could do it, saying, it's Jake. When you were saying that, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to say the biggest difference maker was no Jacob DeGrom. Because Jacob DeGrom is the Mets. When Jacob DeGrom is out there pitching, when Jacob DeGrom's name is going to be up there as the opposing lineup, you're not just chalking it up to a loss. You're chalking it up to an embarrassing loss. And can we reel back? Because you know if he sets up the game plan, uh, this is how we attack the hitters. And you have Stroman and Walker going after him. And they're able to execute the same kind of game plan. Although it's not 102 miles an hour with a 94-mile-an-hour slider, those other two guys in the first half with Jacob DeGrom leading the way pitched like all-stars as well, even though they, you know, Taiwan Walker wound up being one, but Stroman has been top 10 in all of baseball with his ERA. And all he does is continue to perform very well. He's carried the load for no Jacob DeGrom. So Jacob DeGrom being out of there is, is, is very well missed. I mean, it just, it saves the bullpen. And if you're able to do that for two, three games in a row, well, you only need one or two relievers instead of using five or six guys a night. That's a game changer for every single series that you play in. So it has affected the Mets in a major way because their pitching staff, while Jacob DeGrom was in there, was top two in all of baseball. Their pitching staff since is definitely not anywhere near top two. And that's talking about starters and bullpen because the bullpen guys are worn out from having to carry the load. Okay, you play in a whole lot of big league clubhouses. You're playing on a team. You see a tweet like the one you saw from Steve Cohen, and you're on that particular team, are you fired up? Are you all sorts of angry? Is it like the major league? Oh, we're going to show this guy. We're going to stick it to this guy. Take me through what Nelson Figueroa would be thinking if he was a part of the 2021 Mets. He wakes up and sees that tweet over morning coffee. Yeah, it's it's something where he's not airing out his dirty laundry in any other facet of his life. Right. But he's airing out the dirty laundry about the team. Who's not, who's underperforming. So he's using the Twitter to adhere himself to the fans. Cause that's what every fan is thinking. And it's, it's really a captain obvious moment, right? We know that this is what they're doing with brothers. Just position. We know this is what they've done with men left on base. We know that. So it's one of those moments where, I think he kind of pushed the button of send thinking the fans will understand that I side with them, that this is unacceptable. But that kind of thing, when you're an owner and you're the guy who's writing the checks, while you're pointing a finger that way, three more point back at you. Because you have to say to yourself, well, if you knew you had a lot of shortcomings, if you knew you needed another arm starter, another arm reliever, and maybe another hitter or two because guys were underperforming, if you wanted to, you could have done that. You're the guy who owns a team and you write the checks. So if you wanted to, you could have pushed the envelope with the front office and said, let's make bigger, better deals. They only went out and got Baez and Rich Hill. So that to me right there said mm, they were kind of complacent and they had to do something just to do something. But that's not signaling, hey, we're going all in. Hey, Figgy, look at in. Springer in the offseason. 
They could have signed George Springer. I know he's missed some time, but when he plays, one of the best players in all baseball. Oh, oh, absolutely. But at the same time, you're thinking if you're putting Springer and Michael Conforto up and their body of work up until that point, they were thinking they were going to re-sign Conforto. Totally fair. And now you're thinking thinking twice about that after the season he's had. Conforto's 28 years old and coming off, you know, one of his best years, even though it was COVID shortened, but he was coming off one of his best years, his most productive years. And he's only 28 years old. Springer's 31. So you're thinking if you're going to go after one of the two and you're going to give $150 million to one of the two, the homegrown product, the guy who's been in the Met uniform his whole career, and the guy who basically is the face of the franchise. I mean, Pete Alonso has come in and, and really just you know taken the city by charge and he's not afraid to do it. Conforto's tried to be a quiet leader and do it just with his play and his bat and his glove and things of that nature. But you notice when he's not doing it with the bat and the glove, how much it stands out, right? It hurts you. It hurts the team so much because Conforto is not doing what he normally does. I get that. For me, Michael Conforto was a guy that was going to kind of be the next in line to be the next captain of the New York Mets after David Wright was gone. That's how much I, I appreciated Michael Conforto as a player, because all he did was handle business on the field. He was that quiet leader. Now, because he's been struggling so mightily and he's been pressing so mightily and he's been the guy that you can kind of point a finger at because he's not been getting the job done. It's been very difficult, right? Because you look at him and, and of course, the owner calls out all these guys and it's his right to do that. But it's a bad message to send because you're looking at from outside as, now we can pull them apart because it's not a cohesive unit because he could have done that. He could have went into the clubhouse and said it to the guy's faces. That's more respectable for Nelson Figueroa. I would rather that he would come. Basically the George Steinbrenner treatment where he's coming down. He's MFing you guys. He's saying you guys suck. Wake it up. That sort of deal. At least, you know what? He's putting his money where his mouth is. He's coming to the clubhouse and saying, Hey, step it up. That, that's exactly what it has to be done because you're not going to put out your dirty laundry on social media. And that's what he, I think he did it, like I said, to adhere himself to the fans and that the fans would be like, oh yeah, he's saying exactly what I would want to say. Only problem is, is that he's the guy that can change it. He's the guy that could have, you know, put, said, hey guys, you know what? The five-year plan, so what? We realize the rest of the division is struggling. We need to strike now. And I think if the Brave series had turned out differently and instead of them, if they were able to push them back, you know, and make it an eight game lead rather than only a four and a half game lead or four game lead after they uh, finished with that series, it was an eight game lead. Then I think they would have maybe went, you know what, now's the time to really push it. But once it started that the Braves were coming back to the pack and the Mets were kind of coming back down and you weren't sure what you're getting, you were always thinking that the hitting would turn around. It still hasn't. And I'm thankful that they were able to score runs today, but it's been a very frustrating, not just year, but the month of August really has kicked the Mets while they were down and they need to figure out a way to turn it around here towards the end and have a much better September to remember. Okay, Figgy, who's got the most on the line in the next two months? Conforto, McNeil, Dom Smith, when it comes to their future in a Met uniform. Dom Smith and McNeil are signed up for the ride, you know, as, as guys. So you who think are no matter what, they're probably on this team next season. Yes. No matter what, they're on this team next season. You know, you guys. And have, I wouldn't overreact to McNeil. I know he's having a yeah. terrible year and he got hosed the other night. The guy has been such a good Met the first two years. It's like LeMayu with the Yankees. I'm giving yeah. him a mulligan more so than a guy like Conforto, quite frankly. Ups and, down, ups and downs of, of, of what these two guys have been through. So McNeil and Dom Smith, you know, there's a, it's, it's been hard to pinpoint it and say they 
because they've had their moments of brilliance. They've had, you know, their moments of struggle, but it's still, I'd rather have Dom Smith up rather than Conforto with bases loaded in the ninth. Dom Smith cuts down on his swing. He hits that little blooper. He's giving you a better field. at bat, Figgy. He's giving you a, better, giving you a better, at bat, better at bat, right? Absolutely, because Conforto can be a game changer when he's right, but if he's off, he is an out all over the zone, and it's frustrating. And when you're a free agent to be, and now you're sitting there and you're looking, you're like, you see a lot of his shortcomings. Rather than thinking back to all the good times and all the things he did in the Met uniform, you start thinking of these shortcomings and you start saying, well, are there better options than him? I repeat, he is the youngest right fielder that's going to be available in free agency. That still makes him highly attractive because maybe it is a blip on the radar. Maybe he didn't have the best season and he can turn it around. Who would know better than the guys who are with him every single day? The, the, the hitting coaches that are with him trying to you know, get him to turn it around. We've seen him go on these streaks where he just takes off. He just came off one. He was, what, the last 18 games, he was on base every single time. 14-game hitting streak, and you know, but it never seemed like he did it with bases loaded or runners in scoring position. That's the biggest difference. So I think Conforto has the most to lose. Uh, he's the guy that probably isn't in the Met uniform, but it all depends because if Scott Boris is looking for a big payday, who knows what all of baseball is doing? Is all of baseball, you know, pulling down that that number that he was looking for because they're all going to say the same thing. You know, you didn't do it in New York and, you know, we're not really ready to give up five years, $150 million, $30 million a year or even $25 million a year for a guy who's just average. Gut feel, final one. Mets get back in this thing, meaningful September, fall short in the division, or do you see the Mets making a serious run at this over the next couple of weeks? Uh, listen, September will be all dictated by how August ends, and it's bottom line. It, it always comes down to the Mets versus the Marlins, it seems. Naturally, and right? That's like it, par for the it, course. It, it always does. The Marlins always will find a way to be a thorn in the side of the New York Mets, and th this year is no different because I do think if they can kind of right the ship and get on a nice winning streak heading into September – and somehow, mid-September, they get back Jacob DeGrom. Somehow, Syndergaard comes walking in the 1st of September, and he's ready to go. And they're able to kind of put it together. Because this team is I, – I, I hate when people say this. When you have a guy like Cody Bellinger batting eighth, is it because he's not talented? That's why he's the eight-hole hitter for the Los Angeles Dodgers? No, it's because he's not executing. He's not performing. And all these other guys are. And guys who you've never heard of are batting ahead of Cody Bellinger. That does not mean Cody Bellinger is a bad player by any means. Because I tell you what, if I'm pitching against that team and I get past the first seven, and now I have to face Bellinger with two guys on, it's really a headache to probably have. So I think the Mets are talented enough to put a run together. We haven't seen them do it all year long. Can they do it? Yes. Will they do it? It all depends because they have to take care of business against the lesser teams, which they've done most of the year. Teams below 500, they've played extremely well against. It's the teams that have been above 500, which the National League East finally has some of those <laughs> to speak of. And now you're going to see them going up against the Marlins and the Nationals for 12 games. That's where they have a chance to get right back in this thing. Figgy, thanks so much for doing this. And before we say goodbye, you now have been lucky enough to play golf with me not once but twice. So the New York, <laughs> New York audience, listen, I'll give you the Figgy scouting report. He hits the ball a country mile and then some, a country mile. What is the Figgy JJ scouting report on the golf course? It's going to get wacky, right? No, it, 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 listen. So first off, he's left-handed. So that should let you know right now. Wacky, expect, yes. Expect, expect the unexpected. The beauty of JJ is 
He knows who he is and he stays in himself, in his comfort zone, and he doesn't try to hit a shot that's not in his bag. That's what I love about JJ on the golf course. And then, of course, is that he's always super positive. We're playing in a foursome. And yes, we have, you know, the competition going in. But you, my friend, love a good golf shot. And you I do. Five. I'm a sucker for a bomb, bro, because I don't hit many of them. So when I see somebody like you do it or our buddy Nick left the rack, yeah. we got it. We got to tip our cap. Yeah. Give credit where credit is due, dude. A absolutely. And then you bring over Ken Dashaw, who's just steady Eddie right down I mean, the middle. Dashaw hit every fairway known to man. I'm jealous, yeah. bro. Yeah, jealous. It's, it it, it, it's a great time to be had, and I will do it any day of the week with you, brother. And uh, all we got to do is make our putts, and we'll be fine. Well, I hope to see you on the golf course soon. Enjoy the rest of the season, and uh, all the love, bro. Thank you, brother. Good to talk That's to you. That's the great Nelson Figueroa. We got more to do. Voicemails coming up. New York, New York. Coming right back. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. See, Figgy actually gave me some positive words about the energy I bring to the golf course. And listen, if you're ever looking for a hype man on the golf course, trust me on this, I'm your dude. Because you may hit five shanks into the woods. You may hit two balls into the water. If you go and pipe one 240 right down the middle, I'm going to be hyping that up all damn day. Might not be good enough for you, but some guys feed off the positive energy. I actually have a guy I play golf with. I'm basically a shrink on the golf course. And it can actually weigh me down a little bit because sometimes I'm so worried about his overall well-being that I totally disregard my overall well-being. But if you ever need a positive hype, man, I'm your dude. And I think our buddy Nelson Figueroa attested to that. So, voicemail time. Very excited for where these are going to go. Weekend where everybody was all cooped up for 24 hours. A lot of rain. A lot of wind. Hopefully everybody survived this little hurricane that we got. We're not used to getting hurricanes here in the tri-state area, but listen, we live to die another day. Voicemail number is 917-382-1151. All right, let's get on the horn, and let's get on the horn in a big way. What do we got? Hey, JJ, it's Harris from Staten Island. How are you, man? And so uh, this Wilson, I tell you, man, you know, I love him coming out of college. I'll make it quick here. I, I thought he had the it factor. It's preseason. Uh, you got to take it with a grain of salt, but it doesn't look like this game is going to be too big for him. I think he looks smooth out there. He looks comfortable. I'm sure he's going to have his ups and downs once the season starts, but I think the Jets finally got the quarterback of, you know, of the future, and now they got to build the right team around them. I think they did offensively, defensively. Salas has a lot of work to do. Curious to of your, your thoughts. Always great hearing from our buddy, the great Iron Staten Island, who made his way out to Lambeau. And that's when you know it is a normal football season. When Ira in Staten Island is here, there, and everywhere when it comes to traveling to NFL stadiums all over the place. And I have a feeling we're going to be hearing from Ira quite a bit as this season rolls along. Always great hearing his voice. Um, Yeah, so far so good with Wilson. It's preseason, so I don't want to get nuts. He's got the arm. He's got the mobility. We'll see if that it factor is there 
when you're playing games that matter. Takes time to figure that out. Listen, it took two, two and a half years for me to see with Allen that he had it. Allen showed flashes in his first year. He did. And he played better down the stretch. But would he ever solve the accuracy? Would that be something that, you know, would forever hold him back? Well, he went from completing like 58% of his passes to like 70% of his passes and turned himself into an MVP candidate. You saw enough wow, though, in the first two years where you're like, wow, no pun intended. You got something to work with. That's what I want to see with the Jets. They're not going to win a whole lot of games. They're going to struggle in this division. A couple of wow moments each and every week with an improved defense, with a coaching staff that has a clue, the signs of progress. I know some of you, the problem is your team has sucked for so long that like you don't have the patience for another year. You can't handle another year of like the growing pains. But sometimes you need a little real talk. You need to splash cold water reality right in the face. Jets are not winning a lot of games this year. But the bar is so low that they could go and win five, six games. Quarterback looks good. And guess what? You're going to feel a lot better about the state of the franchise. Who's up next? JJ. JK out in Fayville once again. I, I, I'm trying to hold back, bro. Zach Wilson, last night, I know the preseason is what it is. He's going against the number twos, but holy shit. Could the AFC East and this crew of quarterbacks be the future of the NFL? I mean, there's a lot to prove with uh, Tua, with Wilson, with Mac Jones, but oh my God, am I excited. I mean, obviously, you know, Josh Allen's got it going on, but dude, I mean, that touchdown to Cross where he threw it away from the defender, threw it away from the contact, you cannot teach that. I am so pumped about this guy. Let's go. I love the giddiness. It's very rare to hear a giddy Jeff fan, and you hope that preseason is not suckering him in, but you're still being down. You got to find little things to be excited about. A lot of young quarterbacks in the AFC East. You're all right about that. And right now, Allen is the top dog. He has earned it. He's taken a team to the playoffs each of the last two years, and he's won a couple of playoff games now. Mac Jones going to get his turn at some point with the Patriots. My guy, too, I think is going to take a major step forward this year with the Dolphins. They got a lot more speed on that team. They have designed an offense that I think is far more conducive to his skill set and what he brings to the table. And I'm fired up to see what that looks like. And you got a young hotshot rookie quarterback who's the number two pick in the draft. Yeah, I think considering the AFC East was like a one-trick pony at quarterback for like 19, 20 years and everybody else was kind of spinning their wheels, it would be refreshing actually for a change if each of these teams had, you know, some stability and had exactly who they hope to be their quote-unquote franchise moving forward over the next couple of years. Giddy Jeff fans about Wilson right out of the gate. A lot of giddiness. Okay. Who's up next? JJ, it's the Coney Island Cobra. I got a big bone to pick with the uh, Shulman bubble media. It seems for whatever reason, they love the attack of New York Giants. You know, I understand the last few years haven't been great, but they, there just seems to be an outward attack on the Giants when it comes to, you know, their personnel. And I'm not saying it's great personnel. But when I hear them talk about other teams that have struggled for the last few years, 
They, they, they treat them with kid gloves. And I really think it has to do with the fact that you got a lot of Jet fans in the media, a lot of showmen who, you know, for the most part, you know, it's, it's the little, the little brother attacking big brother. You know, something, look, I got nothing against the Jets. I like Ray Lucas. He was a good dude right there. Vinny Testaverde, Bill Parcells helped, helped really pull the Jets out of, you know, their shithole they were in in the mid nineties that people forget about. But he's a giant. Sorry, he's not a, not a fucking Jet. You know, he's not a loser fucking Jet. So, you know, the Jet writer who writes for the New York media, you guys are losers. You haven't won a Super Bowl since the 1968 season, 69. Move on. Maybe Zach Wilson's great, and maybe everything works out well. But I have a funny feeling he ain't gonna be. He ain't gonna be the man. So I'll I'll take Daniel Jones, who's been ridiculed, ridiculed, and he's not bubble. And I hope, I hope when we're we're having a talk in in January, we're in the playoffs, we're kicking the bubble bubble uh, Cowboys ass this year. Trust me, I won't be paying for steak at no shitty steakhouse, Mr. Newark. And, uh, you know, appreciate some it, good things for my New York um, Giants. I think the criticism, quite frankly, friend. of the Giants the last few years, fair and justified. Now, I don't know if that's coming from guys who are Jeff fanboys or not. I couldn't tell you who it's coming from and who it's not coming from. From my show and my standpoint, I think the Giants deserve a lot of heat for the way they've performed on the field for the better part of seven, eight years. Listen, the Giants had a great thing going in the Tom Coughlin, Eli Manning run. They won two Super Bowls in what? Four or five years. I would sign for that. I know a Jeff fan would sign for that. I think basically 80 to 85% of fan bases, actually more than that, I would say about 90 to 95% of fan bases. Let's get it right would sign for having that sort of success. No matter how you get there and what the run looks like, two Lombardis, it's tough to top that. Unless, of course, you're like the Patriots. That's that's maybe the only team who can. But 2012 on, you have to be fair. They've drafted terribly. The free agent signings, for the most part, have not worked out. And they've done a whole lot of losing to the point where the Giants have kind of developed this sort of dysfunctional type of environment. Not as much now with this head coach, but that is something that built up over the last few years. I don't think the media was like picking their spots and saying, oh, we're going to go attack the Giants because we got to go attack the Giants. I think the results, they are what they are. You had guys like Beckham on that team. He's going to take a lot of heat. Gettleman. Is going to take a lot of heat. You had two overmatched and overwhelmed head coaches. McAdoo didn't belong. Pat Shermer didn't belong. So poor roster construction, poor coaching hires, volatile players, and a whole lot of losing. See, that's not the media. That's, that's, that's reality. Telling it like I see it, bro. When the Giants were playing great, listen, when I started my radio career, you get me gushing, waxing, poetic, like there's no tomorrow when it comes to Big Blue. Recent Giants, they deserve to be roasted. It's a big year for this GM. He wants to be here next year. It's a big year for this quarterback. 
Got to still win some games. I know Mayor didn't want to put a mandate on it. Go have a winning season. Something the Giants haven't done since 2016. Go get me a winning season. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Nick and Rock, the center here. You know, usually I agree with almost everything you say, but you said something multiple times last podcast that made me want to blow my top. Trying to even slightly calm me down about Carl Lawson's popped Achilles by saying the Jets weren't going anywhere anyway, frankly, is utter garbage. What if this derails his career? What if he's never the same player again? And JJ, at this point, I just want to see a competitive team. I just want to see a little competitive football. It's been six years since I've seen one even remotely competitive week-in and week-out team. And I haven't seen a playoff berth since 2011. And, J.J., I'm only 20. That's over half my lifetime ago. That's about half my lifetime ago. I stopped playing fantasy football a couple years back because I felt like it took away from the purity of football and being a Jet fan. So I got nothing to distract me from this team. So, J.J., you telling me or trying to tell me that uh, that this isn't so bad because the team – wasn't going anywhere anyway, Jason, you can't even begin to cool me down with it. Like, I appreciate the attempt, but you're totally wrong. Man. It just makes this team go from really bad to work. And I just can't keep getting embarrassed by my football team every single freaking week. Thanks, JJ. Nick, I understand your pain. But I think the point I was trying to make, I'm not comparing this to like Testaverde blowing out his Achilles week one against the New England Patriots in 1999. That's what I'm trying to equate it to. A defensive end who's very talented. And yes, I understand your concerns about long-term, same player, coming back, yada, 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 all true. That's fair. I'm talking about for 2021. Jets are going to be a bad team with or without Carl Lawson. That's my point. You know, this is not Buffalo losing Josh Allen to a torn Achilles week one with Super Bowl hopes. The Jets have an over on the number that is at six, or maybe it was at six and a half. Maybe it went down to six. What's the point? It didn't change much. Didn't change much. I hope Lawson comes back and could be the same player and be a game changer. I really do. I don't root for anybody to get injured. But to say that the Jets season dramatically changed, I'm sorry, it did not. It did not. Now, this sucks. It hurts. But your expectations, to me, or exactly the same a week ago as what they were three days ago and what they are today. You don't want to hear that, but it's true. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Eric down in Florida. Uh, with the Yankees being rained out, I'm going to transition over to a couple football questions I got for you. So I'm a uh, Jets fan, transplanted down here in Florida. Be up in Charlotte week one for that Jets-Panthers-Darnold-Wilson matchup of the uh, Titans at quarterback here that we can uh, see week one. But got a... Down in Jacksonville here, got a bunch of friends that are Jags fans. A couple straight-up bets, more wins, Jets or Jags. What's your uh, take on that? And then transitioning over to your Dolphins, does Malcolm Perry make the 53-man roster? Over to you. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to the season. See ya. Wow, a couple of interesting questions right there. I'm going to say that Malcolm Perry is on the outside looking in, making the Miami Dolphins. They got too many dudes at wide receiver. They got too many dudes. And I know Waddle had an injury the other day, came back in the game. What a badass. But Albert Wilson is back. Fuller's on the team. They got to figure out what they're doing with Bowden and Jakeem Grant. No, I do not see Malcolm Perry having a role on the team. Um, Jets, Jags, who has more wins? To me, it's Jacksonville. It's close, but it's Jacksonville. 
because they play in a softer division. You don't have a team as good as the Buffalo Bills that you're playing twice. Tennessee is not as good as Buffalo. Indianapolis is not as good as Buffalo. The Jets, to me, have two automatic losses against the Bills, more than likely. At best, at best, they are splitting both New England and Miami. They're probably going to get swept by one of those teams and split with the other. So I think they're looking at the prospect of going 2-4, and 1-5, and 0-6 and in the division. Jacksonville, on the other hand, has two games with the Houston Texans. They have a good chance to win both of those games. Indianapolis, maybe they get one. Maybe they don't beat Tennessee, but again, more likely Jacksonville beats Tennessee than it is the Jets beat the Bills. So when I try to like figure all that out and handicap it, I'm going to say that Jacksonville finishes with a better record than the Jets. I'd probably put the line over wins. Jacksonville minus one and a half. Close, competitive. Jacksonville more wins. Who's next? Hey, Jay, Carl from Jersey. Uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on if the Yanks are going to sign Rizzo and or Gallo long-term when their contract's up. Gallo does have another year, but Rizzo's up this year. They're already paying Cole and Stanton, and I know Judge is going to demand like a $200 million contract soon enough. So how attached should we be getting to these guys? Are they here to say, no, they don't want to go over the luxury tax. They've been a little hesitant with money. So I don't know, man. I don't think we should sign them long-term because I think there's other guys that we should pay. But what do you think? Are they here to stay or are they just rentals? See ya. Excellent, excellent question. Remember, Gallo's under contract for 2022. So you don't have to have this discussion when it comes to Joey Gallo. I want Anthony Rizzo on this team. Now, I don't think Rizzo is going to command the five, six, or seven-year contract. I think Rizzo ends up getting a three- to four-year deal. He's going to go on 18 to $20 million a year, but I think he's getting a three- to four-year deal. The reason I bring Rizzo back, he makes your infield defense so much better. He's a lefty. He's a contact hitter. He doesn't strike out. And what it allows the Yankees to do, the way I see it, they kick the curb down the line when it comes to shortstop. You don't have to go and give a Seager, a Correa, a Story, a monster contract. You keep Glaber Torres at short for another year. Maybe you have Wade or Velasquez as his caddy if defense ends up being a problem. But guess what? The Yankees have a top prospect who, in some minor league spears, has eclipsed the Martian and Mr. Volpe, Jersey kid. He's putting up monster numbers in the minor leagues. First-round pick. The Yankees love him. Is it possible he is the Yankee shortstop of the future two years from now? And he'd be pretty cheap because he'd be getting them, plucking them right from the minor leagues. So I do not see the Yankees paying a shortstop. And because of that, I think it's more likely there's room for a guy like Anthony Rizzo to come back. But make no mistake, Anthony Rizzo makes plays that Luke Voigt and some of the other first basemen that I've seen have not. And that makes a world of difference on your infield. World of difference. Two to go. What do we got? JJ, it's come from Staten Island. And you know, it's funny you guys this thing a few weeks back because every year around this time with the Mets, I end up thinking back to this legendary rant from 2003 with the Giants. I mean, why waste my time with this team? Every freaking year, it's the same shit. It's August 20th, whatever the fuck it is, and we're already knocked out. Why waste my time? Every freaking year is the same goddamn thing with this team. Beat that GD. And I can't take it with them. 
Yankees once again walking through the park in Minnesota this weekend, pounding the swings over and over again. The project is going down the crazy Canadians once again win these next couple of years. And I'm like, you're not losing. I mean, I miss duties now. I got a kid. I can't take this no more. I, every freaking year. And what am I going to look forward to? The Jets? Yeah, right. Whatever. 12 year rebuild. It's going nowhere. Can't take it with these franchises anymore, JJ. Sick of it. Can't watch. You won't catch me at City Field for the next, for the rest of this season. That's for damn sure. Later. Wow. The great clump from Staten Island making his New York, New York debut. And Clump and I go way back. One of my old high school teammates, one of my old buddies from the good old Petriti school. And we had not seen each other in a long, long time. So we had a little high school reunion a few weeks ago at City Field. Myself, Steve, the great Neil Pacifico, Sean McGowan. Great time. Hadn't seen those guys. And what's great is when you haven't seen a group of guys in a long time and you basically pick up right where you left off. That was me. I was like, I had so much fun. I told Kate afterwards, I was like, I can't wait to see those guys again. We had a blast. But I want to give them a little bit of credit. Not only do we have a great night, not only do we have a couple of drinks, but since I saw those guys, the Yankees haven't lost a game. <laughs> it's amazing. The Yankees haven't lost a game and their poor Mets haven't won a game. So maybe they were exactly the sort of karma that I needed to get my baseball season back on track. But I do understand comes pain. I don't. Long-suffering Met and Jet fan, and it can do that to you. So we go from the opposite ends of the spectrum. You heard some giddy jet earlier in the show. That's more of the bruised, battered, and beaten type of Jet fan. Last and certainly not least. Hey, John. It's Jake from Charlotte. Got a fantasy football question for you. I'm thinking about a couple Miami Dolphins players. I'm thinking about Miles Gaskin, and I'm thinking about Mike Gesicki. Do you think those guys are good values in fantasy this year? Um, and if they are, which one would you rather have? Would you rather have um, Gaskin or would you rather have Gasicki? All right, man. Thanks. Bye. That's a terrific question. I don't know how Miami is going to split up the duties at running back. They have Malcolm Brown. They have Ahmed, who is another Washington Husky. And Gaskin was the guy for a good majority of last year. But I don't know what the Dolphins are doing at running back. We had Jason Katz on the show about a week ago. And he basically told you, yeah, Dolphins rolling the dice. Those are running back situations you don't want to be involved with. Because of that, it's Mike Gesicki. You even saw it in the preseason game the other night. Tua loves throwing him the ball. He had a 50-yard catch. Yeah, another 50-yard catch. Now, I know Fitzpatrick was Gesicki's guy. Watch Tua and Gesicki last year. Kansas City game, the Bengal game. He's become a favorite target. He's a guy that Tua likes to find come third down. Mike G's had a lot of feast or famine type of games. I've noticed that the last two years because I've had him in fantasy. But out of those two, I think Gesicki's a safer bet. Too much uncertainty for the Dolphins at running back as far as I'm concerned. From fantasy football to getting the stage set for the NFL futures market. I'm not ready to look at week one lines yet. They're going to be in my right in front of my face when I'm at all the sports books in Vegas over the next two days. I'm getting closer on some futures. I think you guys know where I am on a couple of these. I saw everybody is betting the Titans over, which I now immediately regret. I think like 98% of the tickets are coming in on Tennessee's over. Maybe that's because of the injuries for Indianapolis. But guess what? Wentz is back. Nelson coming back soon. Ugh, I hate seeing that. But 
our buddy from Against All Odds, the great Harry Gagnon. We'll get you ready for the 2021 NFL season. That's coming up next. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. So as we move closer and closer to the start of the NFL season, our friends, our handicappers, our extraordinaires are out in full force. We welcome back to the show one of my favorites throughout the football season. You catch him with Cousin Sal against all odds, the degenerate trifecta. He's a a card-carrying member, I guess you could say. The great Harry Gagnon. Harry G, how we living, baby? JJ, love it, man. Love it, man. You're the, you're the best. And by the way, the other day on, on Shine, you were tremendous. You and Shine talking Yankee baseball. You guys are diehards. It was awesome listening to that, bro. I got a kick out of going on Adam Shine's show. You know, he, he we had to return the favor. Shine came on my show sure. about a yeah. month, month and a half ago. So I got the text waking up early in the morning. The Yankees just swept the Red Sox. I was giddy. I was like, all right, me and Shine, it's going to be energy up the wazoo with the two of us talking now. Oh, it was phenomenal. Awesome, bro. You guys you guys nailed it cold about what the Yankees are doing and what the Red Sox are not doing. Now, I wish I was invested going back to like early July on yeah. the Yankees to win the World Series. I mean, I have them to win a pennant going back to like the middle of May. I think I have it like 350 or 4 to 1. I mean, it's it's not as juicy as it should be, Harry. When you could have got like a 12 or a 14 to 1, mm. that sounds yeah. a heck of a lot better, dude. Totally. But I mean, like everyone was down on Boone. And down on the Yankees, but that you score all those players. Hey, Yankees did it. Red Sox should have went after Rizzo, like you said. They didn't do it. And look what happens now. You ain't kidding. Now, as we get closer and closer to the football season, I'm going to finalize these bad boys within the next two weeks. I have a pretty good idea of where I'm going with some overs and where I'm going with some unders. Do you feel like your futures card is 100% complete? Or are you still... Uh, you're waiting for preseason maybe to finish up. A, a little bit of preseason to finish up. I'm still in, qu- in question about some teams. But there's some that are out there. Those totals out there look juicy. Some lines look fishy out there. I mean, Pittsburgh won 13 games last year. Their over-under is 8.5. Green Bay's won 13 the last two years. Their over-under is 10.5. There's a lot of question marks out there. But I do have a lot of games, a lot of teams covered. There's a couple still questions, like you said. Still looking at Denver with their quarterback situation. But I got a lot of over-unders that I like this year. Already. You don't put a lot of stock in what you see in the preseason, right? I put absolutely no stock in what I see with the preseason. I mean, the Giants, think about it, Harry. They've played two preseason games and none of their starters have played. Especially now, because look, we, we know last year there was no preseason whatsoever. We know there was no preseason. And this year there's three games and no one's playing. It's just running through the motions. And yeah, like I said, Daniel Jones hasn't played a snap. Saquon Barkley, not a snap. So you can't put anything into it, really, honestly. Okay, my friend. NFC East, let's start here. Giants, you're getting juicy value if you want to take them to win the division. Questions on the offensive line. Questions about the quarterback. Does Dallas deserve to be favored in this division? I don't think so. I think Washington's a better team. I think they're a more complete team. And I think Washington, quite frankly, is winning this division. I think it's a two-horse race. I think the Giants are a distant third. You handicap it the same way? I do, actually. You know, I don't have, and Dallas's total is nine and a half. I don't like them to get to 10 wins, really. I think they go under that. Their defense has to prove something. I mean, they have got Dax back. I get it. They're going to put up, oh, they're going to put up numbers. Uh, Zeke looks good. He looks physically good uh, for the first time in a, in a preseason. 
Um, but Dallas's defense, I just don't trust them, J.J. They gave up 144 po- more points than Washington last year, 116 more than the Giants. Uh, they had eight, nine games. They gave up 28 or more. I just don't trust the Dallas defense. Uh, but I, I'm on Washington with you. I like them. I like them over eight and a half. Second best defense in the league last year. And let's be honest, Chase Young is going to be a game changer. He already is. Uh, they gave Tampa Bay the best uh, game against anybody in the playoffs last year. They came close. This is now uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's team. And I have faith in the guy. He led your Dolphins pretty much to 10 wins last year. He took control in that second half of the season. I like him there. I like McLaurin. I think they're going to have a nice uh, little combo together. And I love Logan Thomas at tight end. So in the East, I really like Washington to win over Dallas Giants third. I think the Giants with six wins last year, get one more. I think they get exactly to seven. You can get plus 550 on that. Leonard Williams, 11 and a half sacks last year, was excellent. Breakout season for him. Blake Martinez, free agent pickup from Green Bay, third in the league in tackles. But again, I just don't trust Daniel Jones, especially with Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator in his rookie year. I know he fumbled a ton, but he had 24 touchdowns. He regressed last year with just 11 touchdowns. I just don't, and you said, you nailed it. The offensive line is a big question mark for the Giants, so I think they get exactly seven at plus 550, but Washington wins the division. Harry, I'm looking at the NFC North, and I think there's opportunity. Look, the Lions are going to stink. I think the Packers are poised for regression. You mentioned their fishy line total, considering how many wins they have each of the last two years. So if you're going to fade Green Bay, and last year I was dumb enough to get on board with the Detroit Lions. I couldn't have been more wrong when it comes to that. Chicago or Minnesota? Who do you like more in that division? You know what? Last week uh, on Against All Odds, they did the guys, the Parlay Kid, Sal, Brother Bry, ripping me, making fun of me because I they, all, of course, all went Green Bay for the division, but I went at plus 250, the Minnesota Vikings. And I love them over eight and a half. I think Minnesota gets 11. I think Green Bay at 10 and a half gets 11. And I think Minnesota wins the division on a tie break because Dalvin Cook's going to have a monster season. Kirk Cousins, I know the vaccine issues there, but I think he's still going to have another great season. And Daniil Hunter is back. Didn't play at all last year. The Vikings defense was poor, but Harrison Smith is still there. And Daniil Hunter, if you remember Hunter, two two past seasons, 29 sacks combined in two seasons. And he single-handedly won that game, playoff game, in New Orleans as he terrorized Drew Brees. He's back and healthy. I like Minnesota with 11 wins this year. Okay, the NFC West is awesome. I think it's the best division in football. You can make a case for San Fran. You can make a case for Seattle just because of the Wilson factor and the Carroll factor. You obviously can make a case for the Rams, not that they have a legitimate quarterback in Matthew Stafford. I love San Francisco this year. I think their schedule is conducive to a big season. Now, I want to see how it plays out. It's going to be Jimmy G to start. Does Trey Lance get an opportunity down the road? Listen, I think the Niners and the Rams, without question, are playoff teams. I might take it a step further. I think Seattle might be a playoff team. Mm. Who do we like the most here and now in the NFC West? Is it Rams, Niners, Seahawks? And notice I didn't put Arizona there because I don't like Cliff, and I think that team is way too top-heavy, personally. I agree. I agree totally, and – Chandler Jones is ha- not happy there either. I don't like the running game, so Arizona's out for me. Rams at 10.5 wins. Niners are 10.5 wins. Seattle's at 10. I think San Fran gets 11. I think the Rams get 12. I think the Rams are a little bit better than San Fran here, but San Fran, JJ, we know what the crazy season they had last year with COVID and injuries and the traveling they had to do. They still, still 
had a solid season, 13th in the league in offense with Mullins, Jimmy G, and Beathard at quarterback. Defense, fifth best in the league. I love Fred Warner. He's a great linebacker, underrated, three straight years in the league, three straight over 100-yard tackle, 100 tackles. And you said it, San Fran's uh, schedule, very nice here. They get Detroit, they get Philly the first two games of the season. Later on, they get Jacksonville, Cincy, and Houston. So I think they go over 10.5 and, and 11, and they're definitely a playoff team, but I love the Rams. It's Stafford's time. I think Van Jefferson in the second year has a big season out of Florida, and we know that the other receivers that they have, and also the defense, Aaron, uh, led by Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. They were the only team last year, JJ, that didn't give up 300 points in the season. I like the Rams to come out of the NFC West, and I even like the Rams for the Super Bowl. Okay, then. I like a little futures you're sprinkling in. Before we get to the AFC, and maybe this is a transition to the AFC. Maybe it's somebody in the NFC. You know the deal, Harry, with these preseason narratives. There are teams that people talk up that get way too much hype, that get way too much love. So as you're going through your research and your homework, who is the team right now? I give you both conferences that's getting way too much love in either the AFC or the NFC. Mm, that's a great question. Uh, I think maybe the Patriots just a little bit. Their total is at nine. Um, I just, I don't like Cam overall. I, I don't think, I think Belichick doesn't like him overall. I know he's looked a fairly decent in preseason, but I don't know if he's going to be able to make those passes downfield. Um, uh, I, I, listen, picking up Nelson Algonlore, he had a nice season last year with the Raiders. I don't know how he's going to fit in here because I just don't trust Cam Newton to be able to make those throws down the field. The defense is decent. But I still don't. I think it's a little bit too much here with the Pats. I'm smelling a big bet coming up with my boss, the great Bill from Los Angeles, and yours truly oh, yeah. regarding the Dolphins and the Patriots. Yeah, and oh, that's who has good more victories this year? Listen, I'll be the first to tell you, Buffalo is going to win this division. Buffalo is the team to beat. They're a legit Super Bowl contender. All true, all fair. I think Miami, with the speed they've brought onto that team at wide receiver. They are going to be more dynamic. Now, I'm a little worried about their offensive line. Tua mm -hmm. has looked very good in the preseason. Don't want to go nuts there. But he is slinging it. He looks confident. He is mobile. Dolphins are winning more games than the Patriots this year. They won more games than the Patriots wow. last year. I think they will win more games than the Patriots this year. Can I get you on board with that? You seem well, a I'll little apprehensive. Just saying. Well, well, you know, remember last year when we went over this, I gave you out Miami as my you best. Love the Dolphins, the Dolphins over six. But you got them at six. You got such a low total with them last year. So long. Nine and a half I see right now. Like you mentioned the Bills. Why? By the way, you get the extra game. The Bills had 13 wins last year. Their total's at 11 and you get it at plus 125. JJ, I think that's a steal with Buffalo. I think you get, you get to 12 easily here. And maybe that Do Stephon Diggs trade, the biggest in, best Harry, trade ever. Is it a first place schedule? For Buffalo, you think that's that why again? that total is maybe getting juiced uh, maybe, down to the under? Maybe so, but Josh Allen is a stud. He's you a look stud. At his numbers. He's amazing. They, I think it's going to be a nice little trifecta here, running back wise, when they picked up Matt Breida, Zach Moss in the second season, and Devin Singletary's pretty good too. I, did, I love this Bills team, but yeah, my, if we want to go about Miami, I think it's nine. Like I said, Pat's at nine. I like under Miami at nine and a half. I kind of like under two there, but I think they could get to nine. Pat's can get to eight. Maybe you win that bet. I just don't trust Tua overall. Gaskin I like, but he's not happy with management so much. And Fitzmagic, he won half the games last year for you. He's not going to be there to hold Tua's hand if something happens. I kind of like Miami at eight or nine, but I think they get ahead of the Pats. Okay. So if we're looking for a team in the AFC, you're not in love with New England. You're not in love with Miami. Who is the team that's going to make a big leap forward 
when you think about the AFC. I'll give you a team I like, personally, Harry. Mm -hmm. I think if the Broncos get any sort of quarterback play, Denver can absolutely be a playoff team this year. Call me crazy on that. I think Denver can be a playoff team, which is decent quarterback play. Interesting. Well, uh, listen, I gave out the Rams in the NFC as my representative in the Super Bowl. This year in the AFC, I'm all in, man. I'm all in on the Cleveland Browns. I like I it. Lo- I like it a lot. I like it a I lot, love buddy. The, I love the Bills, and I love what they did last year. Look at KC last year. If you look at their their games, they were very fortunate in a lot of games that they squeezed by and got a win out Raider of game Cleveland. Raider game in Vegas, Dolphin game, game against Miami. Oh. There were a bunch. You're absolutely right about One that. Of, Atlanta down the stretch of the year, they could have lost to Atlanta. Kansas City, the Chargers they're going to lose three a couple more games this year. Chargers, they were down big in the first matchup. All true. And almost lost at home to the Panthers, who were terrible at the time. So listen, I'm all in on Cleveland. Cleveland had a great chance at beating KC in the playoffs, not for that fumble out of bounds. Uh, I think they may, be, may have gotten it. They did a number on Pittsburgh in the playoffs. They're over-unders at 10.5, and, and you can get it plus a quarter. I think they uh, Stefanski... Uh, coach of the year last year, first year with Cleveland. He's got it going on. Everybody loves him on the team. Pa- Baker's only getting better. They got the best one-two combo in the backfield in the NFL with Chubb and Hunt. And, and Beckham's back, and they re-signed Denzel Ward in the offseason. They got Clowney. Uh, they got Malik Jackson. This team is loaded, man. I love Cleveland this year. And on the other hand, I love the Steelers under. I, I think the yeah. Steelers under at eight and a half with Roethlisberger being on the He's not even on 30. the back nine of his career. He's on hole 17, walking to the 18th fairway as far as I'm concerned. Right. That line stinks. That defense took a step back in the second half of last year. I think the Steelers are a third-place team at best, and I wouldn't even be surprised if Cincinnati pushed them. I love the Steelers under eight-and-a-half wins. I love, too, and I love it, too, and I, I gave that out, too, on against all that today. Like I said, 13 wins last year. They were 11-0 and 0 at one point and then just folded down the stretch. Eight and a half this year, and I agree with you, Big Ben. If he goes down and it's either Haskins or Rudolph, they're done. Big Ben, 39 years old. Pittsburgh last in the league last year in rushing. I know they got the kid, Najee Harris, out of uh, Alabama, and he looks decent so far in the preseason, but I don't know how much. It's a lot of pressure on him in his first season. Um, I don't love their wide receivers that much either, uh, and I think that you know they have a tough schedule as well. I'm going under two. I think Steelers go uh, eight and nine. Okay, Harry, now it's time. You're into these preseason props. I know you dive in MVP, yardage, all this crazy crap that you could throw my way. And we have them, of course, on FanDuel Sportsbook. So give me a few that you're going to be all over in the preseason. We did the wins. We've had some fun with the divisions, but some player props. What do you like? Yeah, you know, FanDuel has tons of them, JJ. If people out there want to go and and look and find, you can find everything on every player. As I love to say, Harry, on FanDuel, you can bet on anything. That's, a, anything, that's what I love man. to say. Anything. You can bet on basically everything. <laughs> and and I love, uh, you know, at, you can get plus 420. You can get Stefan Diggs to have the most receptions in the season. He had the most receptions last year. The most he ever had at Minnesota was 102, but he lit it up last year. We had 127. He had 166 targets, the most in the NFL, too. Uh, more than uh, Kelsey had that, for example, had 145. Um, Adams had 149. He had 166 targets, 127 receptions. Pretty good odds at plus 420 for the guy who had the most receptions in the league last year. And also, how about this one? I mean, like under 34 and a half passing yards by Lamar Jackson. The last two seasons, the Baltimore has the least passing yards in the league. Last year in 15 games, he had 2750. In 2019, he had 3120 in 15 games. And since 2014, under John Harbaugh, 
only one quarterback, Joe Flacco, in 2014 went over 3,400 yards. I love Lamar Jackson under 3,400 and a half yards. Harry, continued success on Against All Odds. Don't be a stranger throughout this football season. And I hope you had an opportunity to hear the great buddy Beheim on this particular podcast a few weeks back. It was very some nice, stellar, very stellar impressive. stuff. And I'm expecting a big year out of the Q's. I need to get you to the East Coast for a Syracuse game this year. Can we make that happen? Uh, we can listen. I tell you what, I got a buddy who goes to all the games. He's he's about fifty five. He's a huge fan. Cuse is playing in the Bahamas or something this year, right? Ah, uh, see, that's the trip I'd love to make. It's that's the trip, baby. Wait, how about this? Listen, I can't do the Bahamas because mom would kill me if I missed Thanksgiving dinner. You come to New York City. They're playing Villanova. We go to Peter Luger's. We have a couple of steaks. We have a bourbon or two, and then we go and watch Syracuse kick Jay Wright's ass. Okay, love it. I'm down, bud. R- lock me in. I'm locking you in. That's the great Harry Gagnon against all odds. One of my favorites. Harry, enjoy the season. We'll talk soon, okay? You too. Love you, buddy. Take care. Always a pleasure with our dude, Harry Gagnon, who is big on the Rams this year and is big on the Cleveland Browns. A Rams-Browns Super Bowl. See, I think of two of my favorites. The great Larry in Florida and Robbie in Connecticut. That would be the battle of Robbie in Connecticut taking on Larry in Florida. Okay. I wouldn't hate that Super Bowl. I mean, if the Dolphins are in the playoffs, I'll gladly take that Super Bowl. See, I'm at the point now where I'm not rooting against Brady. I have no ill will towards Tom now that he left New England. Who do I, like, really dislike? That's the question. I'm getting sick of Bill's Mafia, I got to be honest. That's probably the team that's irritating me because they have whooped my team over the last two years. So I will be rooting against Bill's Mafia probably throughout the course of this year. And I know half the Syracuse audience is going to hate me for that, but who cares? It is what it is. The New York teams to me are kind of, eh, they can go their own way to quote Fleetwood Mac. But I think the two teams that I am focused on the most this year, rooting against Buffalo and New England, which would make sense to the two teams in the AFC East, but Buffalo, because they're the top dog in the division. New England, because it's personal. and. Let's get that bet on record ASAP. I told Danny Heifetz the other day, whatever you want, whatever you want, Dolphins will have a better record than the Patriots. I'll say it one more time. Whatever you want. Jeff Money, before we say goodbye. Money, take it away. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This could be from Monday the 23rd. We're coming off a fantastic week of eight and three, picked up almost five units. And Money plays with six and one. We picked up five units on that. So I got one play here for Monday. We're going to go with the Seattle Mariners, minus the 105 or the Oakland Athletics. It'll be Gonzalez versus Blackburn. Gonzalez is 2 and 0 with a .43 ERA his last three outings. Blackburn is 0-1 with a 5.07 his last three outings. All right, J.J., again, we're going to take the Seattle Mariners, minus the 105 for Monday. All right, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. And considering that I will be in Las Vegas in 24 hours, you know that we are hopping on board a family play. So as I am sitting down at the sports book, probably at either the Cosmopolitan or the Aria on Monday, I could get on board with a little 7 o'clock late night action. It'll be 10 o'clock for those of you on the East Coast, but I'm going to be on West Coast time. Starting Monday. Take that drama mean, get off the plane, and get acclimated to being on West Coast time. I could roll with 
the Seattle Mariners as a play. They're hot. Maybe they get back in the AL wildcard race and do the Yankees a little bit of a favor. It's going to be an interesting week. Tuesday, we're doing a show from the win encore late night after Yankees and Mets. It'll be late night for you. It'll be early evening for yours truly. I'm looking forward to that. Thursday, we'll be taking a show to California. Looking forward to that. We will have trivia. Little trivia Q&A with JJ. Can't miss that. And you guys have been on fire with those the last couple weeks. So keep those coming. Keep the voicemails coming. Fellas, outstanding job as always. I will catch you out on the West Coast. We may have a surprise guest in store. You never know. Anything can happen when we find our way out to Las Vegas. And there might be a little recap of my golf round over at the window. JJ out. Enjoy your week. Be good, everybody.